who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul begins this part of the treatise with a word brothers, brothers. And this is an indication of relationship and the warmth and love. In other words, as Paul's writing to the, the, these people in the church in Corinth, he regards them as family, their family. And because they're family, he loves them. And also because he has this relationship with them, he has the right to address these issues, these issues. And he begins by addressing indicators of immaturity. Immaturity, spiritually speaking. Let's, let's start with Roman numeral one. Indicators of spiritual immaturity. Indicators of spiritual immaturity. Verse one, he says, I could not address you as spiritual, but worldly. It's like they're infants in Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a baby or an infant. All of us begin our physical life as, as infants, as infants. And when we began our spiritual life, we were born again. We began as infants or babies in Christ. If you were born again, you started as a baby. But how long can we stay infants? That's the question. The Corinthians began as infants, but should have outgrown that stage by now. Should have outgrown that. Kenneth Chafin in his first Corinthian commentary tells a story. And he says this. He says, in a renewal conference, the leader gave the participant, every participant, several pipe cleaners. You guys know what pipe cleaners are? You still use those in crafts and stuff, children's ministry? Okay. So I want to make sure. Pipe cleaners. Gave them pipe cleaners. Instructed them to spend several minutes thinking about where they are spiritually and then to shape the pipe cleaners into something which symbolizes where they are spiritually, their, their spiritual condition. When the time for the activity is over, each person was given a chance to tell their small group what he or she had made and how it symbolized their own spiritual condition. And he says, I was especially moved by a middle-aged man who had made a cradle, a cradle, and he explained it with a tone of shame and regret. I'm a Christian who has never grown so I thought this cradle told the story best. That was the condition most of these Corinthian Christians were in. They were still infants in the face. Infants in Christ, still just a baby. So what are the indicators that Paul lists of spiritual immaturity? What are these indicators? How do we, how do we know that where we are? The first one is letter A, drinking milk, not eating solid food. Drinking milk, not eating solid food. Now, I don't know if you've uh, seen some of these bulletin bloopers, but one of them says this. These were in church bulletins. It says, for those of you who have children and don't know it, there is a nursery downstairs. I thought I'd throw that in. If you don't get that, I'll talk to you afterwards. But drinking milk and not solid food. There is a progression when it comes to food, to food. And if we have children, we remember the progression we had for our children. First, it was milk and it was either nursing or formula. And the advantage of formula, of course, was that dad could get up in the middle of the night too. And that, that was one of those advantages. Then there's burping. Very important, burping. Now, as a pastor, I ended up in a lot of different roles. And we had, we had these brand new parents in, in Lakewood with an infant. And I asked them one morning, how's it going with your, with your new infant? And they said, man, we're, we're having problems with our baby. It has gas and stomach pain. And it just, we just can't seem to get past all this. So I asked them about their feeding procedure. I said, 
are you burping the baby? They said, burping? Well, the baby doesn't want to be interrupted in feeding, so we just let him go. Whoa, I said, you need to burp every half ounce or three-quarter ounce or whatever it is. I said, babies don't like it, but it's necessary. Okay? And I thought, I didn't say it, but I thought, if you can't get control of your baby at this stage and make him burp, how in the world are you going to handle it as a teenager? That was my thought right back then. But they did get it down, and they figured it out, that you have to burp him. Well, we move our babies from milk or formula to Baby food, oh, it's a great stage. Then you grind up people food, and then you, they get teeth, and they can chew for themselves, and they get real, real food. It's just, it's amazing, this progression. And all of us went through that stage. And of course, every time you eat out at a restaurant, you leave totally embarrassed because of the, the total disaster mess underneath the table that your little angel made. Now, before we had kids, we'd go out and we'd go, Oh, disgusting. Look at that. The, oh, I can't believe it. And then we had our children, and we go, oh, yeah. But then we were just embarrassed, and we realized that's, that was normal. Now, spiritually, it's the same, except for the food on the restaurant floor. Say that. Milk represents fundamental truths of the gospel. How to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. How to pray. How to read the Bible. Confession of sin, simple truths, easy things to comprehend in practice. It's milk. But then we move on to solid foods and deeper truths. And some Christians never eat anything more than milk. Ever. Ever. Solid food is moving past John 3.16, getting into Romans. Or 1 Corinthians is a little bit heavier, a little bit, a little bit more dynamic. But it's also more than just mental understanding. It's also application. It's learning the truth, but it's also doing the truth. Learning is a thinking process. It's like ingesting it. The action is the digestive process, turning food into action, into power, into energy, and movement. If, if we don't turn our food into action, what happens? Ah, we get fat. If you don't take that food and move it in action, we, we get fat. It's not PC, but it's, it's true. I'm sorry. And spiritually, in the same way, growing up means taking the truths we learn and putting them into action. Otherwise, we end up being fat little babies, spiritually speaking. And we have too many infant Christians, too many couch potato Christians, no action. Many understand and even study the deep truths of the Bible, but never apply them. Never apply it. Some people have spent their entire lifetime, and we had one observation about some people that have been studying the Word of God, been in church for all their entire life. And they said they've learned all of that, but it's made absolutely no difference. Wow. See, ours is not a family room faith. It's not a playground faith. We're, we're in a battleground faith. We need a battleground faith. Paul says, I need warriors, not wimps. He said, I need soldiers, not infants. And our diet and the application of our diet are indicators of either immaturity or maturity. And Paul is writing to these people in, in Corinthians, to people who are not yet able to receive solid food in the past or even now in the present. There's no growth, there's been no progress. And whether we've known Jesus for 10 weeks or 10 years, one week or one year, the question is, are we growing? Are we growing 
up? Are we doing something? It's not so much where we are today, but how far have we come? Is there progress? Is there movement? Is there spiritual growth? Which way are we growing? And the question I always ask is, am I growing closer to God or further away from God? It happens in different speeds and different stages and different times. Am I growing closer to God or further away from God? Which way am I growing? It has nothing to do with chronological age. The second sign of spiritual immaturity is something called jealousy in verse 3. It says jealousy. The word jealousy comes from the word zeal or, or zealous. A.T. Robertson writes, zeal or zealous comes from zeo to boil. And it's not necessarily evil, but good if under control. Now, there are two sides to jealousy. And, and I talk about this when I talk to couples in marriage counseling or premarital counseling, that God jealously guards his relationship with us. He takes an active role of guarding that, just like a husband and wife jealously guard their relationship. But Jealousy, the other side, the flip side, is jealousy that becomes possessive and controlling and selfish and, and flows out of envy. See, there's a positive jealousy and a negative jealousy. And he's talking here about jealousy that is coming out of envy. Envy. Wishing to have what someone else has. Jealousy causes a, a lot of problems in the church today. A lot of problems. Jealous of another's position, the background, physical appearance, wealth, or possessions, spiritual gifts, abilities, talents, personality, advantages, or opportunities, family. Jealousy can flow out of envy. There was a pastor friend of mine in, in, that moved into Lakewood where we were pastoring. He came from California. That's when there was this huge disparity between house prices in Southern California and up in Tacoma area. And he had to invest his, his equity. So he bought a lake house. And I thought, oh, man, I've always wanted to live on a lake. You know, and he bought this lake house. Now, I can be jealous of him and envious of him, or I can just be really nice and rejoice with him and hope he invites me over to go water skiing. You know, that, that was kind of my approach. But we can be envious. We see someone that has something, or we can be rejoicing in what they have. If you're not sure more about that, look, look at the God's Top Ten message on covetous or content. The third problem with jealousy in the Corinthian church led to the third indicator of immaturity. That was quarreling. Quarreling. There was conflict, there was division, there was quarreling and fighting. Now, have you ever noticed that with children, big fights and big conflicts occur over unimportant issues? Unimportant. You may not even remember what it was. In fact, that occurs in marriage, too. I had two older brothers growing up, and they always made a big deal over unimportant issues. Like the bucket of water over the bedroom door. I mean, it worked great, but it's just, you know, it's an unimportant issue. In our marriage inventory, we have one very relevant statement. It says, we sometimes have big disputes over unimportant issues. Of course, we get down the road and we kind of laugh about it, but it's true. Sometimes these are really, really small issues. And in the church, if we are immature, we make mountains out of molehills. Big conflicts over unimportant issues. Kenneth Chafin says, any problem that has to be dealt with by people who are spiritually immature can divide a church no matter how small it may appear. Can divide a church. Churches that split over the choice of color of carpet or 
The painting or decorating schemes, the picture over the altar or stained glass, play my way or I'm going to take my ball and go home, the attitude. Now, I'm going to jump into something here. We're getting ready to enter a building renovation plan, okay? And it's exciting. We're just in the initial design and uh, evaluation of estimates, et cetera. We'll let you know more as we know, but we're working on that part of it and uh, the initial parts of, this, of that. Um, and everybody's going to have an opinion of what we should do, okay? And, and that's fine. Everybody will have an opinion. Um, if I did a survey on Sunday morning and I asked you, how's the temperature in the room? If I asked, if we did a survey and said, how's the temperature in the room? Probably 30% would say it's too hot. 30% would probably say it's too cold. 30% would probably say it's just right. 10% wouldn't know. I have no opinion. Same thing with the, would be the result if we uh, asked about the volume of the music. Now, we didn't have drums today. Uh, we have to give Jesse ability to go out of town sometimes. But, but the volume, if we asked, how did you like the volume today? 30% would probably say it's too loud. 30% would say, not loud enough, needs more. 30% would say, just perfect. And 10% maybe wouldn't have an opinion. Okay, we're going to have opinions all over the place. All over the place. Now, one of the reasons we're working with architectural and designers and those kinds of things on the building projects is because these people are professionals. They understand the difference between decorating a home and decorating a public space, which is a commercial building. And, and so we, we're giving latitude for that. And of course, it'll all be approved by the LB and all that other stuff. But if we vote on colors, we're going to have a church split, okay? Everybody wears different colors, and we like to live in colors that we wear. Isn't that true? That's what I've learned. So, so if you like a certain color and you look good in a certain color, you want, you want the colors to be that. So you look good, right? That's, that's kind of the thing. Well, when we do this, we need to make sure that we support the leadership where they go on that. And when all is said and done, you may have done it differently, but we're here to stay in unity and agenda harmony. Agenda harmony. Remember, the church is not the building. The church is the people. And some churches get divided over a building project. No. We're not going to quarrel. Promise? Promise? Okay. How we handle these issues are indicators of our spiritual maturity. We don't want to avoid it. We don't want to complain. We don't want to gossip. We have resolution. And we are going to have disagreements. Agree? <laughs> Disagreeable people. I, I can't believe it. Okay. The fourth indicator of spiritual immaturity. The pedestal problem. Letter D, the pedestal problem. Putting leaders on a pedestal. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 5 says, When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I prefer Apollos. Aren't you acting like those who are not Christians? Who is Apollos and who is Paul that we should be the cause of such quarrels? Why, we're only servants. Through us, God caused you to believe. Each of us did the work that God gave us. That's from the New Living Translation. People will say, I follow Bill Hybels, or I follow Rick Warren, or... The Acts 29 network is really the true church. Or John Piper is my guy. It's Andy Stanley. Or Joel Osteen has the real truth. Or I'm Baptist. Or I'm Pentecostal. I'm Presbyterian. Or I'm Lutheran or Methodist. Or the real church, I'm Wesleyan. We follow John Wesley. Actually, 
we all follow Jesus Christ, okay? Just make sure we get that straightened out, okay? We, we have this thing of, of we put leaders on a pedestal, we put things uh, that are not important. But we live in an era of the superstar. One of the issues is our whole culture is celebrity-driven. Our culture has created the need for celebrity leaders. So we copy them, we emulate them, and we follow them. We want our celebrities. I remember when the first Christian music superstars hit the scene. See, in America, we had the Beatles and we had the Beach Boys in Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Gladys Knight and the Pips, the Rolling Stones, all of these, these groups and superstars. And Christians wanted their superstars, okay? They've got their superstars. They don't emulate our values, so we want our own Christian superstars. Now, some of you are probably too young to remember. You weren't born yet. That's okay. You may not remember the gospel quartets or Evie. Have you remember Evie? There's three of you. Thank you. Okay. Randy Matthews, Andre Crouch and the Disciples, Bill and Gloria Gaither, Gaither Vocal Band, Petra, Bloodgood, Brian Duncan, Sandy Patty, Amy Grant. All of those, we, we wanted our Christian superstars. And today you've got, of course, the Chris Tomlins and Natalie Grant, Matthew West, Lauren Diego, Mercy Me, Lecrae, Big Daddy Weave, you know, you can name them. We want our heroes and our celebrities. It's a pedestal problem. We see the same celebrity issue or pedestal problem when it comes to athletics, the arts, theater, technology, business, or show business. We elevate humans. We elevate humans. We follow people. There's a problem with following people. People are fallible. <laughs> they make mistakes. They're not perfect. We can't follow humans. We have to follow Jesus. Jesus. See, the pedestal problem, and we looked at this week two, creates schisms in the church. I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I, you know, this, we put people on a pedestal. And then we take sides on those schisms. Human leaders putting themselves on a pedestal or being put on a pedestal by someone else brings issues. Don't put any human on a pedestal. Do you put any human leader on a pedestal? Don't, don't. It's a sign of immaturity. Then we're following a human and not Jesus Christ. Verse five says, who are these guys? It says, they're just servants doing their jobs. Just doing their jobs. Okay, the fifth indicator of immaturity is the ownership, ownership problem. This is my church. This is my ministry. Okay. Now, longevity is a very important part of ministry, but when a pastor begins to think he owns the church, then you've got a problem. Okay. Now, I don't know what parents would tell their kids about, about me. Their children would come up to me and say, are you the owner? Are you the boss? I'd say, hey, I'm not even the boss of my house. Okay. I mean, Judy lets me lead, and so I can lead, but basically, I'm not the boss. Okay. But, but children have these funny perceptions, and so... And some pastors think they own the church. It's their church. This is my, no, it's not my church. It's God's church. It's not my church, it's God's church. It's not yours either. It's God's church. The church belongs to God. In 6 and 7, it says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Neither he who plants or waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Wow. God makes things grow. God makes it grow. 
You are God's field. You are God's building. You are the church. The building is not the church. And when we believe that the building is the church, we own the building, then we have all kinds of problems. All kinds of problems emerge. Tussle for control. Who's in charge? How can I have my way? I've got an investment here. I helped pay for this building. I donated for the stained glass windows. I bought that piano. No. We invest in the kingdom of God, which is people and ministries. This building is just incidental. Just an incidental part. Drinking milk, not solid food, jealousy, quarrels, the pedestal problem and the ownership problem. Just five. Just five of the problems. And it's interesting as you go through 1 Corinthians, all the things that we have in common with the first church in Corinthians. Amazing. So what are the indicators of spiritual maturing? Indicators of spiritual maturing. Roman numeral two. I say maturing because it's an ongoing process, because it's something that continues on. You never arrive. It's a maturing process. Spiritual maturing. First, it's humility. Letter A. It says, what is Paul and what is Apollos? He says, I was a planter. Apollos was the waterer. But God caused the growth. Now, Paul, Paul does not diminish his role in planting. He doesn't diminish Apollos' role in watering. He just very truthfully states that God causes the growth. God causes the growth. Humility, true humility, is seeing the truth. I planted. That's true. Don't diminish or deny the role of planting. Apollos watered. That's true. He did a very good job at watering, but God, God grew the church. As God grows our church, one of the things that we're tempted to ask is, why are we growing? What are we doing? Who's causing the growth? It must be the children's ministry, or it must be the student ministry, or maybe the great worship, or the preaching, or the evangelism and outreach, our communities and connect groups. Maybe it's our great signage on our steeple. By the way, we have an ongoing disagreement at the LBA whether that big thing that goes up in the air is a chimney or a steeple. Just so you know, it's a steeple. I'm right. Just so you know. Just wanted to know. If you haven't noticed the sign, we've been putting some signs on there. Some of you come from this side, you never see it. You've got to go around once in a while so you can see the signage. Just, just saying. Okay. Steeple. Anyway. Humbly and faithfully, we're called to plant water and cultivate, but... God causes a growth. And you know what? All of our roles in the body, all of our roles in the church are important. And we're going to see that as we go further along and we see all the validation, how Paul validates the people in this church in Corinth. Now, I see advertisements quite often about so-and-so who will be speaking at this conference or going to be a guest at this, and it says, he has grown his church to 6,000 people or 5,000 or 15, whatever it is. And I guess that God was reduced to watering in those churches. No, God grows the church. And humility is seeing the truth as it really is. The second indicator of spiritual maturing is, letter B, servanthood. Servanthood. Verse 5 says, what is Paul, what is Paulus? Servants just doing their job. 
There's a story uh, Jesus tells in Luke 17. I'll just, I'll just read it. I don't know if we have this up there or not, but it's in Luke 17. You can write it down, verse 7 to 10. It says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We've only done our duty. See, in and of ourselves, we cannot produce any spiritual results. We, we in and of ourselves, can do nothing significant spiritually. The Spirit of God in us accomplishes that. Yet every person is important. And as we go through 1 Corinthians, we're going to see a theme. We're going to see a theme. All these things that are causing division. The theme is unity. We talked about, about harmony agenda, agenda harmony in the first, first year here. Heart, agenda harmony, being together. It's unity in the diversity. He celebrates unity, but there's always diversity. It's incredible. And, and it, what it does is it elevates the worth and value of every person in the church. Every person. We all have different gifts and roles that God has given us. And leaders need to lead, but they're not more important. We are all servants exercising our gifts for the health and the growth of the whole. Then there's teamwork. Teamwork. Verse 8, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to their labor. How many of you um, are watching the NCAA basketball tournament? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, my team's out. I'm sorry. I, you know, I talked to somebody, and they said, Wisconsin's not in it, so I'm not watching. Well, and that's fine. Um, Gonzaga is the only team from Washington now on the West Coast that ever made it anywhere, so they're, they're gone. But anyway, one of the things that, that is fun to watch, okay, and not every team plays like a team. There's a lot of individual talent. But all teams that are succeeding are playing as a team. They're playing as a team. And all the players have a role to play. And you hear the commentators talking about this person who's a point guard, shooting guard, a power forward, a center, or a, you know, post player, and how they do certain things and... They, they, they use this person for this kind of defense and this person for that. They put ball handlers in for last-minute scoring things, and they, and they shuffle players, and they match and mix and match up. I mean, there's this really complex formula stuff that's going on constantly. As you, and when you, when you know coaching just a little bit and you hear what these guys are saying, it's amazing. The teamwork between the coaches and then the teamwork between the players and all that goes on. It's teamwork. It's teamwork. Is the goal of a basketball game to make one or two players look good? No. The goal is to win the game. Win the game. It takes teamwork working together. Do your job. What has God called you to do? Do your job. Unity in the diversity. Celebrate the differences. There's harmony and teamwork. And the opposite is competition. And competition really permeates our culture and our churches as well. By the way, we're not competing with other churches. We're not competing with other churches. We are cooperating with other churches. One of the, one of the things we do every year, and by the way, this is a, 
This is a shameless plug. Men, we are doing an event Monday, right after Easter. It's a terrible time to do it, but it's the Monday night after Easter. It's the NCAA championship game. Bug-eyed Betty's, you get one of these, at two, two of you can go in. Free food, soft drinks, whatever, watching the NCAA finals. Okay? And we're doing it with Cedar Creek Community Church and Bethesda Lutheran Brethren Church. We're doing a cooperative thing. We cooperate. You know, we're doing this stuff. And the thing that we need to understand is that we don't compete with other churches. We cooperate with other churches. We're not competing. Our competition is the devil in the world. And so we want to not compete. We want to cooperate and work together. It's teamwork. It's teamwork. Every church has a unique people to reach in this community. That includes us. Teamwork. The fourth indicator of spiritual maturing is faithfulness. Faithfulness, letter D. Doing what God has called us to do. Humbly as a servant in unity and being Faithful. Now, we don't always get recognition for faithfulness. You don't get recognition. And many of you are consistent and faithful. You can be counted on to serve. Ushers, greeters, tellers, nursery workers, refreshment time, hospitality, connect group leaders, children's ministry, student ministries, kitchen ministry, intercessory prayer, trustees, LBA, mentoring ministry, missions, giving, Ministry again, bringing meals to someone, visitation, worship ministry, decorating, the custodial crew, the tech crew. By the way, our tech crew is awesome. They only get noticed when they make a mistake. They only get noticed. They, we only notice that they don't get noticed if they're faithful, but you need to thank them because they make, they make everything happen every Sunday. So just at some point, thank our tech crew. It's all about faithfulness, faithful. Faithfulness is the greatest attribute in the kingdom of God, and our job is faithfulness. The emphasis is not our success. It's about faithfulness. God makes things successful. God makes things grow. We are faithful. So indicators of spiritual maturity and indicators of spiritual maturing, which way are you growing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us just honest assessments of what it was like in the church in Corinth. And I pray that we will continue to learn all of those lessons that we have. And Father, that we just know and, and understand how you want us to grow and that we would constantly be growing closer to you and I pray, God, that you'll challenge us and change us today. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?
can we be seated for just a moment? This is the last Sunday of the month. The ushers are coming forward. Uh, we're taking the benevolence offering. And uh, by the way, you don't have to wait till the last Sunday of the month to give to benevolence. You can give any time, designated online or wherever. But uh, this is the one time that we just kind of highlight that uh, for needs within our congregation, people who have, have uh, financial uh, difficulties. Also, if you can take your Connect card and fill that out, uh, and uh, don't forget there are prayer requests. Uh, you can write on the back of that and put it in the offering box in a moment. And, uh, and we'll also have the end of the service a prayer team up here if you have prayer requests you want to pray for um, next Sunday is a huge Sunday and uh, it's gonna have a lot of music uh, a lot of lively music might I say um, it's geared for and the message is geared for people who don't know Jesus and so again please invite like I said last week 70% of people who are would come to church if they were invited. 70% of unchurched people would come. If they were just invited, you just tell them, hey, we got this great Easter, uh, Easter celebration planned. Why don't you come and, and enjoy that? We're not going to embarrass anybody or do anything, but, but they are going to enjoy the music, and I know that they will hear the gospel message. So next Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, plan uh, to not just come, but be a bringer, bring people. Um, and then please note also the... Missions Festival is moving to spring, and it's two weeks after Easter. We got a full, we have a full slate here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, please note that uh, Dr. Dennis Jackson, who's the head of the missions ministry and the whole Wesleyan denomination, he and his wife are going to be here um, ministering. Great speaker, just a great time of, of envisioning. So uh, that's that's what we're going to see in the next few weeks. Let's let's stand, shall we, as we are dismissed with the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. Hey.